Spreading Cajun across the nation. Pushing the brand across the land. Welcome to Ragin' Review. Made by the fans for the fans. Cajun Nation, happy Friday. Welcome to Region Review. Matt Miguez here. Weather's getting warmer outside, and that just means that baseball and softball are heating up as well. Plenty to talk about between the Diamond Sports. Uh, we'll get into baseball and softball from the last week, and then we'll preview baseball for this weekend as they are in Hattiesburg to play Southern Miss. Obviously, the softball program, their weekend series with Georgia Southern has been postponed due to COVID issues between the Georgia Southern program. Like I said, Matt Miguez here. Welcome to Region Review. Joined always by my co-host, Jerry Abair. And today we are joined by a very special guest. Like I was saying, you know, all of Cajun Nation knows who this guy is. Uh, he's, most of the time, at least, he's smarter than his own good, Mr. Ian Ozan. Ian, how are you, man? I'm good. Now, I asked a question about something. Are you sure that most of Rage and Cajun Nation knows who I am? Because I've been flying under the radar as a flame. So I'm not sure if everybody knows who I am. Maybe giving me a little bit too much credit. I mean, you are you are the man, the myth, the legend. So I, I figured I figured credit was due where it was due. Okay. Well, if you thought it was, I'm not going to argue with that. I appreciate that. Oh, absolutely. We, we enjoy having you on, as always. Um, like I said smarter smarter than your own good especially when it comes to the to the world of sports um you know sometimes sometimes we'll we'll start you know i've i've always wanted to ask you this and i've never gotten the chance to you were a contestant on sports jeopardy with uh, right. with Dan Patrick what was that like it was phenomenal and one of my dreams is to always go on the Trebek version of jeopardy may he rest in peace and I, because I worked for KETC, I couldn't qualify for the show because we broadcast regular Jeopardy. But when Sony did the spinoff, when they did Sports Jeopardy, I took the test, just on a lark, got the call back to go to Houston to do the tryout, and then they called back and said, we want you on the show. Turns out, even though Channel 3 runs regular Jeopardy, there was no eligibility issues there. So they said, yeah, come on down, do the show. Getting there, getting on the set, holding the signaling device, and of course with Dan freaking Patrick there, it was it was a dream come true. It's an experience that I don't know if I'll ever top, uh, quite honestly. It's one of those things where you're on set, and it's, it's so easy to play at home because it's just you and the TV. When you're on the set, though, and you're playing two other people, you have to figure out the signaling device, and you also have to figure out how not to psych yourself out it's in some ways it's nerve wracking, but at the same time, it's, it's almost as if for those, uh, for basketball players who want to get to the NCAA tournament, when they finally get there, they have their one shining moment. That was my one shining moment. And I, I'm amazed Luther Vandross wasn't playing in my head the, the entire time, but it was just absolutely phenomenal there. I would not trade that experience for anything in the world. Even though I didn't win, I still wouldn't trade it in for anything. Yeah, you know, some something like that, you know, that that's just like you said, that's something that you never forget. Like you said, even even though you didn't win. But, you know, you've been around 
Raging Cajun Sports for a very long time. About how many years would you say you've been involved with the programs? I moved, I moved back to Louisiana in the summer of 2010. Okay, so my 10 first years. Fill-in assignment, my first fill-in assignment was about a year, year and a half after that. So, okay, so, so all those 10 years, years now. Yeah. Okay. And so, yeah, like, like we said, you've, you've been, you've been around the block when it comes, when it comes to these programs, you know, let's, I'm going to start with baseball, you know, so far in this season, nine and five, seven and two at home coming off the week, weeknight loss against Mississippi state, you know, so far 14 games into the season. What, what do you, what are your thoughts on this program? I'm not worried. The bats will come alive. Matt Nick will figure that out. The pitching has been phenomenal so far. I think the bigger issue for the Raging Cages right now is trying to close out series like we saw against Houston Baptist. Now, of course, they swept Rice, but there's no reason why they should have lost against Houston Baptist. I get things happen, and that's why we play the game. Anybody can win on any given day. But I think the bats will take care of themselves, and I think the Cages just need to make sure that they have their confidence going in the Sunbelt Conference play. This is a team that's still dangerous, a team that I still think he is the favorite to win the Sun Belt Conference. And right now, it's just a matter of positioning. How can the Cajuns do the most damage against their opponents and get national recognition in the process? Uh, that's the only question I have right now is, will they be able to not only beat their opponents come conference, but also do so in a decisive enough fashion to where they can warrant national coverage going into the postseason? Yeah, so, I mean, I'll, I'll add on to that. I think one thing that Coach Matt Dex said the other day on the coaches' show was we're, we're still a work in progress. Um, and, and, you know, we were with, – with any type of Matt Dex baseball teams, uh, if you've watched him, you know that he's he's very, very scrappy. He, he has a very scrappy strategy. I mean, they'll steal bases. They'll double steal. They'll do all kind of things that are – that are kind of unusual for normal baseball teams. And when you watch it, sometimes it works. And then sometimes when it fails, you're like, why on earth did you do that? And I think they're still experimenting. I think they're still experimenting on the lineup. I think they're still trying to find uh, more consistency in their bullpen. Um, you know, one thing that Coach Deggs did last week was he played a lot of guys in the bullpen, uh, some of which only pitched maybe two or three pitches. He'd take them out. So he's still experimenting with his, with his lineup and his bullpen. Um, but in spite of that, look, they're nine and five right now. They've had some decent wins. Uh, they, they have, I mean, look, this schedule coming up, you played the number two team in the country the other night. You've got a three game series at Southern Miss that, you know, RPI wise, I want to say they're in the top, maybe fairly top hundred or something like that. Uh, then you've got a nickel team that's always scrappy that you have in the midweek. And of course you've got a top 15 team in TCU coming to town for a three game series. At, at, the, at the team next week. So, and then, then you follow that up with a four game series against Coastal. So this stretch coming up, this three week stretch, in my opinion, is probably one of the hardest stretches that any team in America has to deal with. And we're going to find out the character. We're going to find out the fight in this team. We're going to find out the grind. Um, if there's any coach or any team that could take on this challenge in the next few weeks, it's a Matt Deggs coach baseball team. And we're going to find out, starting today, what this team is made of on the road in, in Hattiesburg against a really, really solid Southern Miss ball club. Yeah, you know, like, like we like we were talking about before we, we hit record, you know, this is a perfect opportunity for this program to get some big-time 
quad one wins. You know, Southern Miss is currently a quad one program. And, you know, we were like I said, we were talking before we went on air. They have a team batting average of 201 at the moment, which, you know, in today's college baseball, that's not very high. And with the pitching that we have, I think this is a perfect opportunity to kind of exploit that weakness with our biggest strength and pick up some serious wins for the RPI heading into next week's three-game series with TCU. But for the Ragin' Cajuns, they can't overlook that Mendoza-line batting average. You look at that, say, 201, eh, we'll, we'll get out of this game relatively easily, the series easily. But any given team, as I said a second ago, any given team can win on any given night. They may be batting 201, but what if those bats catch fire this weekend? Cajuns will have to rely on their, pit, their uh, pitching and make Southern Miss look like the 201 team that they are. Aragetti and Dirk have been phenomenal so far this year. I, I haven't looked at the rotations yet, gentlemen. Do y'all know where they're pitching this weekend? Uh, if they're pitching tonight or they're saving for uh, later in the weekend? Dirk's going to go tonight, no. and Aragetti's going to go tomorrow. Yeah, and, and then we'll pitch Carter Robinson, Carver, on, Carter on, Robinson on, on Sunday. Sunday. Yeah. But, yeah, I'll add on to that. I mean, you, you know, one thing's for sure. We have a pitching staff that could complement, um, or should I say that could – that could play into that Southern Miss team hitting 201. I, I mean, look, right now, Southern Miss, I guarantee you, they're looking at it as not only do we need to improve our bats, but, you know, we're going to have a challenge ahead of us this weekend between especially the first two, between Dirk and Aragetti. I mean, look, Peyton Dirk right now, true freshman, he's looking like a like a veteran guy. Uh, I mean, he looks, I mean, I'll say I'll say it to the extent, there's there's a reason why he was the number one recruit out of, out of um Louisiana, but he's to me he's an SEC pitcher. He's an SEC weekend guy, and we've got him on Friday night as a true freshman. Follow it up with Aragetti, who's not only pitching well, but he's got swagger. You know, your typical Degs competitor on the mound. So, you know, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of similarities from Hayden Dirk uh, comparing him to Gunnar Leje, uh, where you know Tony used to say it all the time. You, you get that Friday night guy to set the tone, and I think you know tonight our bats haven't really been up to par with what we're capable of. I'm more worried about what we can do hitting the ball than pitching. I think pitching is going to be fine. If anything, I like the fact that they are batting 201 because that plays right into our wheelhouse with our rotation. My biggest concern is can we go on the road and can we hit the ball more consistently? Can we get timely hits and, and draw in enough runs that can put the game away? And I, I've even noticed that last weekend against Houston Baptist, we really didn't do that. Um, you know, even especially on Sunday, but we we obviously didn't do that on Wednesday night against Mississippi State. Now, granted, they had some good pitching, but we stared at a lot of fastballs. We struck out swinging at a lot of fastballs. Um, now, I don't expect Southern Miss to have the pitching staff that Mississippi State has. I mean, look, that Mississippi State team is to me. They're going. I think they're going to Omaha. They're that good. But um, if there's any weekend for the bats to come alive on the road, it's this one because not only you want momentum hitting the ball, but they're struggling. Southern Miss is struggling at the plate as well. So we're playing against a team that actually is hitting worse than we are. This is ripe, ripe, ripe for the taking to get some confidence winning on a solid road series against a really, really good Southern Miss team. So I'm with you, Ann. You never know, but I do trust that this pitching staff can get it done. And if there's any pitching staff that can continue their Southern Miss batting slump, it's this one. Yeah, I, absolutely. No, no question about that. Game tonight, 6 o'clock. Um, 
Tomorrow will be at 2, and Sunday will be at 1. Um, that's usual college baseball start times for the weekend series. You can catch these games on the Conference USA Network, or uh, Jay Walker and Brad Topham will have the calls for you this week. Or is it is it Chico again? You know, Top is back with uh, with Jay Bird. Uh, okay. Brad had some sort of engagement the other night, which precluded him from going uh, from doing the first game of the road trip. So, right, Chico. I know, I know they didn't come home. Day. Right. I think I don't know if Chico came home or not, or if he's just staying out for the weekend. But I think Brad is back tonight uh, and this weekend for Southern Miss. Okay. okay. And you know, and I want to add, and of course you can hear those games on East Talk ninety six five KBL T plus. Right. Absolutely. And I want to add, you know, one thing I like about this team is that, you know, the fact that Deggs is playing so many guys, you have guys on the bench right now that have gotten enough starts uh, during the midweek. You've got guys that are, and pretty much you've got at least five or six guys who are utility players, you know, between Brennan Bro, um, between Sam Riola, between CJ Willis, um, Fred Borgonio, um, Alex Haney, Brandon Talley, you've got a Julian Brock. You've got a bunch of guys that are playing multiple positions. And I, I kind of like that. I like the fact that they were able to play multiple positions, not only because there's experience in the field, um, but also it's just, it tells you you have an athletic roster. Um, I think the main thing I'm more concerned about now, and I don't know if you guys noticed it, but our fielding to me hasn't been up to par. We're letting a lot of balls bounce a little too much. Um, you know, and of course, our, I mean, the other night against Mississippi State, we gave up, what, two or three runs on, on, on bad pitching, or on, 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 um, on wild pitches or, or balls that would just bounce. Um, I, I, would think, I would think come next weekend or even the following weekend, I, I, I don't know about what you guys think, but I'm pretty sure Matt Deggs would have uh, more of a solid, a solid lineup, a more consistent lineup than what we're seeing now. I mean, I'll, I'll start by saying I sure hope so. I mean, because well, let's face it, when TCU comes to the Teague next Friday night, you're going to be 18 games into the season. If you yeah. haven't if you haven't plugged and played enough by 18 games, then something's not right, in my opinion. Yeah, now, I'm not. I'm, um, not, I'm not an expert, I mean, but I, I just feel like 18 games is long enough to figure out who you think should go where. Put it this way. I trust Matt Deggs, whatever he does. There's a reason why he got hired for that job. If he wants to plug and play all season long, then fine. I, I trust him, whatever he does. I'm not going to question him because you look at the cages, you look at their record. They're nine and five. They're having some growing pains. And we expected that considering this is, assuming we have no pandemic issues, Deggs' first full season as the head coach of the Raging Cages. They're coming off of the pandemic year where they've not had much activity over the course of the last, oh, 13 or so months. So they're still trying to figure things out. I'm, I'm not too worried about the plug and play. Yeah, I, I, just hope, I just hope that there's more consistency. In that. And like my thing about the plug and play, if you're going to plug and play, just don't make so many fielding errors. Uh, I've noticed that a little bit. And, of course, like Coach Dex said, I mean, I'm not – I'm not as concerned about it as much as I am. I would hope come conference we have more of a consistent lineup that can, you know, where you just have guys to rely on. And um, I think the good news is that I expect us to not only improve by conference, but I expect us to 
really win most of our series in conference. Um, if we're able to compete these next three weeks, of course, including Coastal Carolina, who's our conference opener, you know, you, you take two out of three this weekend or even get a sweep and you, you take care of business against TCU, it can only get easier playing the likes of Little Rock and, and you know, don't get me wrong, UT Arlington and Texas State have had our number, but they're not TCU, nor are they, in spite of, of course, Texas State run ruling TCU the other night, the overall picture is that they're not TCU. So I, I hope that as, as time goes on, we can, you know, this, this plug and play helps us improve, but comes to a point where we can have a little more consistency. But that also depends. Look, Deggs, you make enough mistakes, Deggs isn't going to play you. That's how he is. And so um, just hope the fielding gets a little bit better. You know? Oh, my bad. My car just decided to kick me off the speaker. So I'm sorry, you're from Donna Summer, whatever the hell that was. <laughs> you know, Zan's jamming with us. That's fine. But no. Yeah, I, I don't know what the hell just happened there, but oh well. No, all good. All good. So, yeah, like we said, six o'clock tonight, two o'clock tomorrow, one o'clock on Sunday. You can watch it online at Kusa TV or, like Ian said, the cheap plug, KPL 96.5 with Jay Walker and Brad Topham. Pre-game, as always, begins 30 minutes before first pitch. Um, you know, let, let's talk softball ever ever so briefly. Obviously, like I said off the top, no games this weekend due to COVID-19 issues within the Georgia State program. But, you know, since, since we last recorded, they have come off of – they had come off of that weekend series with LSU, Oklahoma State, and Buffalo – they they got the win against McNeese, and then last Thursday they had Baylor come to Lampson Park in in a game that was that was thought to be, you know, much much closer than it, than it ended up being. Baylor ended up winning that contest by a score of eight to one before the girls went to Memphis for the weekend where they swept the Tigers seven two nine nothing and eleven seven respectively. But you know. Focusing on that Baylor game, you know, Ian, you 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 fill in sometimes for the softball program on the radio. You know, walk us through w- what happened against Baylor that Thursday night. I actually had that game uh, for Baylor radio because their radio guy couldn't make it, so I got chance to do that game. So I was there, and the the two items that stood out were that the Cajuns couldn't get their back going. Part of that is because the Baylor starting pitcher, and I'm blanking on her name now was absolutely phenomenal. Mia's her first name, and I cannot think of her last name to save my life. But if you look it up and say it, it'll, it'll hit me. Gia Rodini. But she, say that again? Gia Rodini. Gia Rodini. There we go. Gia Rodini. She was absolutely fantastic. She had, she had her fastball working. She had her off-speed pitches working. Curveball, rise ball, uh, change-up, especially her change-up. The Cajuns could not hit her outside of the first inning where she gave up a run. At that point, the Cajuns tied the game at one and stranded, I think, another base runner or two in that frame. The Cajuns couldn't do anything against her, and especially after the fourth inning. It was all Baylor. And Summer Ellison didn't look like herself. I don't know if I don't know if she just had a case of the, the I don't, it wasn't a case of the Mondays, but a case of the Wednesdays or Thursdays, rather. I, I don't know what happened there. Summer didn't look like herself, and it looked like she was going through the motions. And I, I can't explain that. Her pitching was off. The team looked 
out of sorts. And I think part of that's because Baylor attacked the Cajuns and jumped down their throat like no other team this season has. And Gia Radini, in her pitching performance, dominated the Cajuns better than any other pitcher has, not just this season, but dare I say in the last five years. Her, she put on a pitching clinic. That's how good Radini was. Yeah, and I mean, for Louisiana to play that game and for them to go through that, they were shell-shocked. But with that said, I think they needed that game. I also think the loss to, the losses to LSU and Oklahoma State, I think also are a wake-up call. The Cajuns were, I, I don't know, because I, I don't know the players, this is just me freestyling. Maybe they got a little bit too uh, high on themselves with that uh, top 10 ranking they had coming into the season. Maybe they thought that they were untouchable. Now they've learned that not only are they touchable, but they certainly, in this case, they're a bunch of Rocky Balboas in the in a field of Ivan Dragoff. Yeah, I, 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 you know, Coach Glasgow, he didn't sugarcoat it, you know, last week when he talked about summer, you know, summer not being summer, and I think with the expectations we have for this program, look, we expect this team to compete up and down the field against the best of the best, and. You know, for example, the first the, the LSU matchup, the first matchup, LSU pretty much dominated us and pitched a pitcher who had an ERA of something like what six or seven, and we couldn't yeah. we couldn't buy a hit off of her. Follow that up with a big win against Oklahoma State, only to play LSU in the next game, and we bounce the ball to first base and lose the game on, on with that. I mean that that's not good teams don't do that, and I think. Losing heartbreakers like that and then coming back and having, I mean, struggling against McNeese twice and then losing that game to Baylor, something's off. I know losing someone like Raina O'Neill makes a big difference in your lineup, but at the same time, it's almost like next, next goal up. You know, you, you have to have somebody come up right behind you to perform. And, and I just feel like this, the, the, the bats haven't really been doing that, not to the reputation that, that we have as a hitting team. Um, add that in with our pitching being a little bit off and giving up six, seven runs at a time, especially the teams like McNeese, you know, that's, that's not the softball we're used to. And I think, you know, maybe that, like you said, maybe that loss to Baylor is a wake-up call to make these girls realize we can't just show that, that uniform, Louisiana Raging Cajuns on your uniform does not automatically get you wins. You have to show up and play every game. And hopefully, um, you know, and then with this weekend being postponed due to COVID, with Georgia Southern, hopefully they get a break. They can kind of, you know, loosen up a little bit, you know, do a little bit of extra workouts, condition a little bit more this weekend, and kind of, you know, sometimes you got to have to stretch it out after you're trying to catch your breath, right? It'd be a weekend for them to kind of recover a little bit, go into next week, and go in with a fresh start. And let's use a parallel with women's basketball here. If you remember, the women's basketball team struggled early in the season. They started off one and five. They won their second game on. January 2nd at Texas State. The Cajuns' next two weekends were postponed because of COVID issues with opposing teams. They wound up getting a two-week break, and then after that, rattle off 15 straight wins. This may be the same kind of thing for the Raging Cajuns. Rough start to the season, albeit they still have a winning record. They get drummed at home by Baylor, go on the road, get the sweep at Memphis, and then they get a COVID-related break where series gets postponed. Maybe with that bad loss, plus the confidence building series, keep at Memphis and a week off to digest everything and to recover. 
maybe this is what starts to run for Louisiana. Again, that is comparing women's basketball to softball, two different sports in different circumstances. But with how weird things have been going this year, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw the Cajun softball team come back to form and be the Cajuns that we know they are and traditionally they have been. Yeah, yeah I, you know, it, it's interesting because if the question is, and here's where I kind of, I'm going to play devil's advocate. It's one thing if you become the Cajuns who you are when you're playing in conference. I mean, let's be honest. The Sunbelt Conference in softball, in spite of as good as what we have, is usually not the greatest. You might have one or two teams that compete with us. Uh, a few years ago, we had Texas State. Years before that, South Alabama. But for the most part, we don't really have that high level of competition, at least for us, that will allow us to get better as a team when preparing for regionals or postseason play. Um, my question is, are we playing Raging Cajun softball at a level against our peers, or can we get to that level where we can compete with the best of the best and come May or June win a regional? That's where I'm. That's what I'm concerned about because it's one thing when you're beating a team twenty to zero. You know, you're beating I don't know Georgia State twenty to nothing, but then you go play um, Ole Miss the next game and you lose four to two. That's where that's where my concern comes in because we've seen it before. You know, we saw it two years ago. Go forty-seven and four, but you can't go win the regional in Oxford. And I'm not trying to be negative, but you know, if your mindset is to win national titles. You've got to be prepared for that. But that's where I think these games against Oklahoma State, Baylor, and LSU come in. When you play teams like that, they show your weaknesses. They show where you need to improve. And now the Cajuns have an opportunity before regionals to improve because they've been exposed. These top-tier teams, these nationally ranked teams, have exposed the Cajuns and their weaknesses. Now it's up to Louisiana to fix those weaknesses before they're exploited again. And the situation with Ole Miss, that particular weekend that you're talking about, that was painful to watch because the Cajuns had played top-tier quality that year. They had won. They had stepped up to the challenge, and then they get to Oxford, and everything goes wrong. Bats go flat. They had one game where they were close, and they wound up winning a game in that series, didn't they? Because it wasn't too yeah, they, did. they won one. Well, so they have one good game. They come close, and they can't finish the deal. So I, I'm not sure if that was a matter of not getting the job done because everything fell flat and weak opponents as opposed to the Cajuns just not being able to finish. This year, though, LSU, Oklahoma State, to an extent McNeese, and definitely Baylor have shown the Cajuns' weaknesses. Now they just have to go back and fix it, and they've got a lot of time to do it with conference play, assuming nobody else gets thrown. Yeah, and, and I think moving forward, too, uh, what's frustrating about two years ago and, and what, what hurts us sometimes is our conference. I mean, you go 47 and four and you can't even host your own regional, um, especially a yeah. team like, like us where we have a reputation. We are known to be a dominant force in softball. And just because our, I mean, our schedule was so weak in spite of playing good teams, non-conference, we couldn't host. And so yeah. that's what that tells me is our competition within the conference. Isn't that good? to where in spite, even if we go on a crazy win streak, will we still be prepared to face a P5, a school that, you know, and who, who has been weather? I mean, look, Ole Miss and those teams in the SEC, they have to play each other in conference. You know, they have to, you know, they have to face the Alabamas and the LSUs and the Texas A&Ms and, 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 and the Floridas and, 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 you know, week in and week out, which means even the most average team 
and we've had debates about this in the past, not us, but, you know, judging whether or not, you know, in the selection committee, when a 500 SEC team gets in, you're like, well, how the hell did they get in? And then you realize, you look at their schedule, and you're like, okay, well, that makes sense, you know? Um, but also, let's say, the 500 SEC team got in because of name brand recognition. That's true to an extent, but at the same time, it's their competition, too, is what I'm saying, you know? Um, not saying it's the right thing to do, but it's, 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 it's competition. Um, and you just, I just feel like with us, again, I'll repeat what I said. I think we still, you, you play what's on your schedule, obviously. I just hope it's enough come, come, come regional time. That's all I'm saying. Well, you know, I think it will be. I think those, I think those losses helped them. Sunbelt will help build confidence back. What they do in regional is up to them after that. You know, agreed. What, agreed. Uh, I have a comment to bring up, but you know, one thing I want to say before that, looking back at that Oxford regional in 2019, the Cajuns actually only needed, they were a win away from the Supers. You see, they were a runaway at one point, weren't right? They, they, they were in the final game, they were close. Yeah. So, right. so entering, entering Sunday, Ole Miss had to beat Louisiana twice. The first game they won pretty right. handedly, five to one. And then, yeah, like you said, Ian, in the second game, bottom of the seventh, we're up four to three before Kaylee Horton slaps a bases loaded single to score two and win the game. Right. So, I mean, Again, you know, you were in a situation there. You had to win one game, take care of business. And, I mean, you just, you, you couldn't, you got outscored 10 to 5 in those two games. Yeah. Yeah. But, it is what it is. And, you know, talk, talking about this year, talking about if the schedule's enough, I think it will, I agree with Ian, I think it will be. You played Baylor, who walked into the walked into the season ranked. You played Oklahoma State and LSU, who are both top 10 teams. Keep in mind, you beat Oklahoma State one of the two times you played them. Then you've got you got two games coming up this week with Baylor. Texas State is a conference opponent who's also currently in the top 25. And then not to mention, you play Alabama later this year. So yeah. from, from, a, from a schedule standpoint, if the Cajuns can figure out their issues and take care of business, the schedule, the schedule definitely does them some favors come regional time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So yeah, now, now it, now it comes down, the scheduling part has been done. Now it's come down to, can you get your bats going? Can your pitchers stay healthy and stay right? And you win games when you need to. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah, that's we'll always that's out. always the million dollar question. Like we said, baseball tonight at Southern Miss in Hattiesburg, six p.m., two p.m. tomorrow, one p.m. on Sunday. We'll take a break right here on Region Review, and when we come back, we will talk about men's and women's basketball and the postseason future for the women's program right here on Region Review.
Chris Russo of Russo Exploration encourages you to donate to the Raging Cajun Athletic Foundation. The RCAF, the official fundraising arm of Louisiana Athletics, supports over 400 student-athletes across 16 NCAA sports. You can invest in the RCAF today for as little as $5 a month. Just go to myrcaf.org to get started or call 337-851-RCAF. As always, donations to the RCAF are tax-deductible. Your investment today will enrich the lives of every athlete that puts on the vermilion and white. Go Cajuns! Acadiana business owners, are you looking for custom solutions from local professionals that understand your business needs? Maybe you're looking to streamline your processes, become more efficient, and achieve elevated peace of mind? Utilizing and combined 30 years of experience in the financial and technology fields, the Vaulted Security Team is ready to assist you with reaching your goals. From credit card processing, internet and phone services, website hosting and design, to hosted cloud, even digital marketing and recovery software, Vaulted Security can do it all. Here's a message from Solutions Specialist, Anna Bourgeois. Hi, I'm Anna Bourgeois, your Solutions Specialist, and it's my goal to understand how we can make your business run more efficiently while increasing profits. I'm very passionate about doing business genuinely. In the merchant services industry and other business areas, it's hard to find a partner that you can trust without question. I'm here to change that perception. Give me a chance to show you what true partnership is all about. Contact Anna today at 337-210-4272 or email Anna at Vaulted Security. Schilling Distributing Company, Acadiana's top alcohol distributor for over 70 years, has been a proud supporter of Louisiana Athletics for many of those years. Now, they've kindly decided to become the exclusive distributing sponsor of the Rage and Review podcast. This is just another chapter in Schilling Distributing's rich history of giving back to the Lafayette community. Starting as an Anheuser-Busch exclusive distributor, they're now expanded to include local brews for your sipping pleasure. Schilling services over 1,500 local businesses throughout the Acadiana area, employing 160 Ragin' Cajun residents, and they boast over 1,400 years of combined experience. Corporately headquartered right here in Lafayette at 2901 Moss Street, Schilling Distributing encourages Cajun Nation to enjoy their beverages responsibly and reminds you to download the Liquid Finder app today. Award Master, located at 3219 Johnston Street, is the only award shop licensed by Louisiana Athletics. In business in Lafayette for over 45 years, Award Master creates one-of-a-kind trophies, medals, and awards using a wide variety of materials, including resin, glass, wood, acrylic, and more. Owners Adam and Sarah Lopez are proud UL alumni, as well as Cajun Cooking Club members. Adam and Sarah can also help with your business promotional items. Rage and Review trust Award Masters for all of their needs, and you will too. Award Masters is so much more than just an award shop. Give Award Masters a call today, 337-984-1414, or go to awardmaster.com. Award Master, the recognition and personalization experts. Welcome back to Region Review. Matt Miguez here. Jerry Abair and Ian Ozan joins us as well. Gentlemen, let's go to the hardwood now. Let's let's start with the women's program. You know, just an absolute historic season for Gary Broadhead and his staff. You know, started off rocky, 
Uh, they were one of five at one point before they strung off 15 consecutive wins, which is a program record. Uh, they ended up playing for the Sunbelt Conference Championship on Tuesday, I believe it was. No, it wasn't Tuesday. It was Monday. 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 And uh, they were unsuccessful in their efforts against Troy. Uh, but, of course, you got to give credit to Troy. They have been a phenomenal women's basketball program for years now. Uh, final score, 65-73. They fell to the Trojans. You know, one thing I thought was interesting about this game is they were talking in the pregame, 45 Division I women's basketball players averaged a double-double this season. Troy had two of them. Yep. So, I mean, right there, that that's a tall task to stop, um, especially when you only have one true big in Ty Doucette. But... You know, in end all be all, great season for the Cajuns, sixteen and six on the year, uh, second place in the Sun Belt. But since they were the regular season tournament, since they were the regular season champions, excuse me, they have earned themselves a bid into the women's NIT. That bracket will obviously be released after the NCAA tournament has been set. Ian, Jerry, you know what? What are your what are your thoughts about the NIT? What kind of seed do you think they'll get? So on and so forth. Before we get to the NIT, I want to go back to the conference championship game. I do not fault Gary Broadhead at all. Oh, yeah, it was awful. the outcome of that game. It was awful. Broadhead's game plan was to attack the big and to draw fouls and to get the Cajuns to the foul line. Louisiana could not buy a foul call to save their lives. Now, for that matter, Troy didn't get any foul calls either. The officials allowed every bit of contact that you could possibly see. Stevie Wonder could have called these fouls. These officials didn't. Micaiah Hollis took a three-pointer from the corner, either late in the first quarter, early in the second quarter, got knocked down. She got bowled over like she were running back getting hit by Ricky Jackson. She twisted her ankle on the play, came out of the game, and didn't come back until late in the fourth quarter. That was not called as a foul. Only yeah. two foul shots were granted the entire first half. Troy took them. Oh, by the way, those foul shots came with less than a minute to go in the half. Yeah, I, I remember. The Cajuns' game plan was to attack, was to get to the basket, and was to get foul shots. And the officials did not call a single foul in the first 19 minutes of the game. They called hardly any fouls the rest of the way. And quite frankly, it was a disservice to both Troy and Louisiana because it affected them, it affected them and forced them to change their game plan. Troy adjusted. Troy was a more physical team. They got away with murder, but figuratively and almost literally, and they wound up winning the game. I don't fault them for taking advantage of what, they, of what the officials gave them. But that's not Gary Broadhead's fault. That's not the Cajuns' fault. They played their game. They tried it, but they couldn't adjust to what the officials granted them. That was their only fault. Yeah, I can remember I was driving to Lake Charles uh, for, a, for a high school top 28 game, and I was listening to your broadcast on the radio, Ian, and there, there was one point early in the second quarter where you, you were getting pretty irate. Which I was. And which, which obviously there was e- one every particular right call. to do so. There was one particular call. I don't remember if this is the second or third quarter. Where Tyriana Ducef's trying to get down low. She's being held by either the center of the forward for Troy. Jersey being held, she was 
grabbed by the waist, and Ty got called for a charge after she pushed the girl off. And I'm thinking to myself, how in the world do you see the push but you don't see the holding, the hand-checking, and the grab? Even in the NFL, that would have been a flag. That's how blatant it was. But yet, I get called for a charge because she nudged the girl off. It, I, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I know this year with the pandemic, it's not been the best of officials because you have some who opted out. But truly, this was the best the Sunbelt Conference can do for its tournament championship game? I mean, it's it's wash, rinse, and repeat when you well, really think well, about the it. the Sunbelt has done nothing but fail us this year, but, you know, continue. Well, I, I don't I don't want to say that as a whole because there have been some games where the officiating was decent. I will give them that. Some crews worked well. The first couple of games of the tournament, it, and I said it on air, I don't remember if it was Saturday or Sunday, but one of the officiating crews you saw this weekend was spot on. They were fantastic, called a great game. They were consistent with the fouls the entire way. They let them play, but they also called fouls that that were that affected the uh, the game, that affected the flow of the offense. The one area where the where the officials, except for Monday, were awfully consistent was the offensive fouls. Lee, I think I saw more offensive fouls called in the tournament than I did during the regular season. It was a point of emphasis, and the officials, for the most part, got them right. But Monday, my good lord, that that was uh, I don't know I. I'm an official. I don't like to critique officials. I don't like to call them out. But Lord, you have no other, you have no choice but to call them out on Monday. Yeah, it's um, it was it was it was kind of tough to watch because everything was discretionary almost. Where a lot of the foul calls were very subjective. Some where well, you know, all foul calls are subjective, but no, but not not when I call. What I mean by subjective is, I mean, yes, they're subjective, but what I mean by subjective is you just didn't know which was what was going to be called and what wasn't. You know, you would see one, yes. there was one possession, like you said, where uh, one of our girls gets grabbed, literally grabbed, and they call a charging foul, but then the next very next possession, you know, somebody's getting, you know, basically like hounded under the basket, and they don't call anything. You know, I've seen mm-hmm. a thing, when you see the bench, react where they're throwing their arms up in the air multiple times and nothing's being called. That's there's something wrong there because like you said, now you don't know what's going to be called and what isn't to where you really don't know how to plan around it. Right. So that's, that's, that's an issue. That's an issue. I thought that was an issue the other day. Um, Overall, I think what did, what did the girl, what what did, what did the Cajuns in wasn't necessarily look, they made some down the stretch. They made some key shots. I'll tell you that uh, Troy's one of Troy's uh, main weapons on offense in the paint was uh, Thomas Karanga. Yeah, twenty-two rebounds, eleven offensive rebounds, eleven defensive rebounds, and there was no way to stop him. She, oh my she was God. dominant. She, I mean, if, and she'd rebound in front of like three Cajun defenders and would put it. I mean, the number of putbacks she had. That that I think that that she was part of the reason of, of, of one of the factors that did us in. Um, you know, no her doubt about it. The it was just unbelievable. And for all the putbacks that Karanga had, the Cajuns had as many opportunities, but they didn't convert nearly as many. I think the, the final stat line for uh, second chance points, Troy had something uh, had almost thirty uh, second chance points. If I remember correctly, the Cajuns had only about six or seven. Yeah, and you know what, though, Ian, in spite of that, um, you know, look, I'm, Troy's a good team. They they have a pretty solid program, especially this past decade. I can't 
I just you can't help but tip your hat off to Coach Gary and his his staff and, and these and these young ladies and the effort they put in this season. They're, they were a fun team to watch. Won the regular season title, going to the WNIT. I mean, first first WNIT in uh, in history, I believe, right for the, for the that, university. That's correct. Program. And quite yeah. frankly, even though it's a disappointment that we didn't make the NCAA tournament, I like our chances of winning the WNIT better than I like our chances against UConn. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and and here's the thing. I expect I expect this team to get a win or two um, in the WNIT. So should be a lot of fun. It's obviously not the tournament, not the dance. You would love to go to the dance, but NIT isn't bad either, though. NIT isn't bad either. No, absolutely not. And here's the thing with the WNIT. You asked what seed, uh, Matt, uh, I thought the Cajuns would get. We don't know because we don't know who all is in the tournament yet. We know who five of the participants are. Of course, Louisiana is there. California Baptist is in the tournament, and I'm blanking on the other three that have automatically qualified. But we do know that the Cajuns will play Friday and Saturday. It's, a, it's not necessarily a double elimination tournament, but all the teams play on Friday at either 11, 2, 5, or 8. We know that. The winners of those games go on to the round of 16. The losers, though, move into a regional consolation bracket, and they will play earlier in the day on Saturday. The loser of the, cons- of the regional consolation game goes home. The, winner, the two winners go on to play in a regional consolation final. That'll be their final game. That's on Monday. So the Cajuns are guaranteed at least two games in this tournament. That's the good news. So you're right. There's a good chance they'll win one. If they go 0-2, oh, then that'll just be a huge disappointment. But I'm, I'm with you, uh, Duty. I think the Cajuns win at least one game in this tournament. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. But, no, job well done to Coach Gary and his staff. And, um, you know, congratulations on a fantastic championship year. And, and hopefully this isn't the end. Hopefully they keep it going in the NIT. Yeah, for sure. You know, this is going to be, like, like we said, this is the first time in program history that they've played in the women's NIT. And I was just doing some some research on the women's NIT, and this is this is kind of common sense. But what I was reading is that regular season champs that don't get a bid into the NCAA tournament will likely be seated higher in the women's NIT. So it being a thirty-two team tournament. You're gonna have you're probably gonna have four quadrants like the NCAA tournament has. That's correct. So eight teams per quadrant. If the Cajuns aren't a top three seed in their quadrant, you know, I would I would tend to look at that and be like, Well, what's your thinking behind that? Well, California Baptist will be a one seed. They went undefeated this year. They won the whack, but they can't play in the NCAA tournament because they're still in transition from division two. So California Baptist is most assuredly going to be a one seed. WNIT also has a habit of putting teams as close to their home side as possible. The closest to California Baptist is Fort Worth. So they'll more, they'll more than likely go there. If my, if my thinking holds up, the Cajuns are also going to Fort Worth. If they're in the same bracket as California Baptist, the Cajuns are going to be a one seed. Depending on who else is in, I would say the Cajuns may be a three or a four. Yes, they're conference champion, but let's see who else is in the tournament. That'll depend on where they go. I wouldn't be surprised if they were two or three, but 
but I'll hedge my bet and stay a four. Fair enough. Fair enough. You know, I I mean, any anything, anything on the top half of of the quadrant would be considered a victory, uh, for for this program. I mean, you know, looking at it in the grand scheme, when Jerry when Gary Broadhead got hired for this job, I always knew he could put a team of this caliber together. Right. And you know, you had you had that team with Kia Wilridge and Kiki Veal. You know, they were special but they were missing something. This team has everything that team had and then some. I don't disagree with that. And I could get into some of what the differences between these teams are, but it would take, it would take up an entire podcast by itself. But you're right. This may be the best all around team that the Cajuns women's basketball program has had. And that's not enough to, Rhonda McCullough, that's certainly not an to Kim Farratt. But you look at those teams from the, from the 80s, now, now that I'm thinking about it, you take that team that went on the the 10-game win streak back in, or 9-game win streak back in 87-88, the team that had the record before this, if you could hit a time machine, bring this current team back and play them against them, I don't know. It'd be a crappy matchup. It'd be like Roxy and Apollo Creed uh, as the third match that nobody got to, uh, got to see. Who wins it? Uh, I don't know. I flip a coin on that one. I'm I'm loving all the Rocky references, Ian. That that's would would Thank would, you. would, would you, you agree that that's the greatest sports? Would you would you consider Rocky an anthology? Yeah. Is, is that the greatest sports anthology of all time? Uh, uh, are we including uh, document uh, documentaries in the anthology series? Or no. I mean, I guess, yeah. I don't know. Ask me that next week. I'd have to think about that one. Ask me that next week. Ladies and gentlemen. Put it this way. I, this, is the, this is the one thing I know about sports movies. Rocky Five might be the worst sports movie oh, of all God, time. Oh, God, yes. It's awful. I don't think they even claim it anymore. Like, they don't even it's include it. It's awful. Four is no, the best so one. No, so that tries not to claim it, but unfortunately, it's there. Four is <laughs> the best one. Oh, dude, four's, four's my favorite, Rocky. Well, four's my personal favorite, too. My, yeah. uh, my personal, uh, just uh, in terms of cinema, one, the original is probably the best of all the ones produced. My personal favorite of the original five is four with three a close second, followed by one, two, five. Yeah. My, my favorite's three. I like three. How he and Apollo, Rocky and Apollo team up. And um, you know, Rocky kind of yeah, because you see you see a side of Rocky where he gets you know that 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 eye of the tiger as Apollo called it you know he, he's uh, he gets his mojo taken away because he as Mickey would say he became civilized you know he's not as hungry and then all of a sudden Mister T just knocks him out in two rounds and then Mickey dies and all of a sudden Apollo brings him back to his 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 origins you know where he's straight up you know grinding his way to get that mojo back. And uh, ends up knocking out, you know, Clubber Lang or Mr. T in round three. And it just, you see a transition. I, I really enjoyed that movie because you get to see Rocky at his, his peak. And then he comes, he makes that comeback as well. Goes back down and makes that comeback. I got to go with Rocky three, personally. Yeah, that's, now, that's I, a, I, I can't argue with that. That's a good call. Yeah, that, yeah. That's, a, that, that's a fair, that, that's a fair assumption. Um, you know, I, I just, I've always enjoyed 
Rocky overcoming the overcoming the Russian. Uh, I'm I'm a fan of a good story. But you know, let, yeah, let's, that's still no good. It's still one of my favorite quotes. When somebody asked me a prediction. Uh, I quote Mr. T. Club Lang. Prediction. Bang. Bang. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Let's get, let's get back on on track here, and let's go from the women's program to the men's program. Uh, Sunday was it was Sunday. That they played, that they played uh, Georgia State in the semifinals. Uh, you know this game. I I figured this game would be close. It always is when when the Cajuns and the Panthers get together, uh, especially in the postseason. The Cajuns came out incredibly flat in this game. Uh, it was it was a seventeen point ball game at halftime, and this was a, this was the game where. Even at halftime, being down 17, it still felt like the Cajuns were in the fight. You know, because yeah. we, we, we've we've been a second-half team all year long. And so, you know, at, at the time, some people had already given up, but I knew that there was, there was going to be something that, you know, gave the Cajuns some life in the second half, and that's exactly what happened. They came out of the locker room, if I remember correctly, they came out of the locker room on a 11 to two run. I think they opened that the sounds right because with, that was about the point where they tied the game. Correct. Right. They, they eventually ended up tying the game with about nine minutes left in the, in the second half. But yeah, like right off the bat, they came out and tripped and uh, cut the lead to, I, I want to say, let's see. With 16.38 left, it was a seven-point game. And then they tied it up with, let's see, I'm getting there. They tied it up with 7.28 left in the ballgame. Duguay hit a three to tie it at 69 apiece. But, I mean, even in that second half, the largest margin that I'm seeing is eight. So I mean, eight point basketball game. You're you're right there in the thick of things. But I think what happened was, and this is this is obviously from personal viewing. I, I think that the Cajuns dug themselves too far of a hole in the first half. That they used up every ounce of gas trying to come back. And then once they came back, they could they just couldn't close the deal. Also, at the same time, Georgia State had their number, and they came back shooting hot as well. The Cajuns may have been exhausted, but even if you're not hitting shots, you have to play better defense than what you did. And Georgia State just came back. They woke up, and they started running circles. Uh, make another movie reference here, Space Jam. It looked like the Georgia State had a, had a taste of Michael's secret stuff and started then started playing well again at the end of the second half. So it's, I'm not sure. It's one of those chicken-and-the-egg situations. Did UL run out of gas? Did Georgia State find its mojo? and go on a run. Uh, all I know is that it was not a pretty inning for the Cajuns. Going, they got outscored, what, 13 to two in the final six and a half minutes? Yeah. Uh, something. There was something like that. Idea. Yeah. Yeah. There was something like that. Um, you know, yeah, I'm just, it's, it, it's the game just epitomized what we've been seeing over the past few seasons where, 
one second, one minute they look like they're 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 a tournament team, and the next minute they look like they're the worst team in the conference. You know, um, first half just getting out coached, outmatched. Um, the Georgia State bigs just dominating the boards early on, getting you know defensively getting blown by, um, just getting blown by in the paint. And then all of a sudden, the second half, to make the adjustments, and we start making better decisions, shooting the ball. Um, we start using we start using Dugay and Akuba more as big men rather than trying to put them on the perimeter, and and it worked. And we started making some key three point shots, and it may work. And it just goes back to me going, you know, everybody wants to talk about, oh, they made a great effort, and look, I'm, the guys, they they grinded in the second half. I'll give them that much. But why on earth did you give up a 17-point lead to begin with? That's my question. Why Why on earth did would you give them a 17-point lead when what I saw in the second half tells me we should have won the game? Trying to keep things interesting, I guess. You know, we should have won that game. And that's 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 the frustrating thing about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, you know, I, I agree with you from, from that standpoint. But, you know, this whole thing, and obviously we're not the only people that, that feel this way towards the men's basketball program, but, you know, this kind of performance happening, you know, fairly often here in the last couple of years sort of begs the question, you know, where where does the program go from here? I don't know. They have some time to regroup. They have some time to figure things out. Um, I know just reading some of the message boards that fans are getting antsy in terms of the coaching staff, but here's the thing. Injuries were an issue, and I know people are going to say that's always been an excuse, but they battled through injuries this year. They dealt with, with cancellations and other COVID issues. Let's see what happens next year. Let's see what the, what the next crop of, the, of players do. And I think the first half of the season, the non-conference schedule, will, will tell the tale of what's going on. Let's get through the offseason. Let's see what Bob Marlin and company do. And let's give them a shot. Let's give them a shot. This year was, yes, a disappointment. We didn't win the conference tournament. We didn't win the regular season title. But the team seems like they're trending upward, despite the loss of the semifinals. I'm of, I'm of the mindset of, of being patient, waiting, and seeing. Jerry, what about you? Well, I mean, we've had a, I mean, we've, 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 I just feel like right now it's a, the product is bland. Um, and, and I'm not, I have my personal opinions. Some of you know what my personal opinions are. But talking to people, and Amy brought up a point about fans being antsy, they're not only being antsy, they're giving up. Like, they're not even going to games. They're not following the scores. They're not even paying attention. Everybody that, the people that I talk to, they'll kind of, they'll kind of watch a little bit, but they're, we're in, in baseball softball mode because they, it's just one of those things where it's like, well, here we go again. Um, we know what to expect. I, I think the whole thing about injuries, I, you know, it's not like the, the problem. I don't, I don't disagree. Like last year, the team came in eighth place. They were basically playing a bunch of walk-ons because they had so many injuries. Right. That's understandable. Brian A., you got hurt for this tournament. But to say that, and look, you even saw Devin Butts. Devin Butts was another one. But I've heard of multiple times people say, well, Brian A., you got hurt. And look, 
he makes a difference, but he's also scoring four point four four points four points per game. It's not like he makes this difference where all of a sudden now we're a tournament team because he's playing. You know, you still have look for this tournament. You had Butts, you had Russell, you had Harper, you had Akuba, you had Gay, you had Malik Wilson. You had enough talent, in my opinion, to win the whole thing. But then one guy gets hurt, and now we're taking away everything else from everybody else, and all of a sudden now, because one guy who averages four points a game got, got injured? I mean, I'm sorry. I, I just, I can't buy that. I can't buy that. I, I think right now what we're seeing is it's almost sort of the same results every year. I mean, we get to the semis, we get to the quarters, and we can't get past that round to get to the final. And I think after a while, people are just, and this isn't just me saying this. This is people I talk to. People are just, it's, it's the same old, same old, you know, and, and until something changes, you know, until the team can make it to the tournament final. The team hasn't made it to the tournament final since 2014, which was the last time the team went to the dance. Haven't made the final since. And that's, that's not good. That's not good for the standards that we have. And so when I say that, yes, we have injury. Yes, there's issues. But there's 300 other teams in America that have the same problems we do. We're not the only team in America that has injuries, especially this year with one guy going down. It's not like last year where we lost like the, almost the entire starting five. We lost one guy this year, especially in the tournament. We lost one guy. That was it. And he averages four points a game. To say that he's the reason why we lost this in the tournament, I'm not buying that. I'm sorry. Like, I am not buying that. So, Ian, I think you're right. I think moving into next year, we'll see what this team can do. Um, I, I mean, look, every year I expect them to be top three, top four, top four competing for conference championships. I expect them to be in position to compete for a conference title. But at the same time, if we can't do that again next year, look, like I said, the reality is, regardless of whether people disagree with it or not, the reality is the majority of the fan base is cashed out. They're done. Until they, this team can prove otherwise. So, Regardless of what I say, that's just a cohort fact. And we'll see. We'll see next year. We'll see. But I just, like some of our friends have said, we have enough, enough evidence that states otherwise. Yeah. The thing with AU, though, is I think even though he only scored four points a game, he was the catalyst that sparked that offense. He was essentially the point guard that ran the show. And losing that leadership, I think, hurts them. I think the question is, why wasn't there somebody else who could do what he did in that respect? That's, uh, again, I can't answer that question. But I still, uh, I think we wait, we wait, we see, let's see what happens at the start of next season, then we can go ahead and, uh, and pass judgment. Yeah, you know, definitely talking about Brian A. Ian, I tend to agree with you. Yeah, he only scored four points a game, but when he was on the court, he made everybody else better, which was 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 evident in the way this program was playing at the beginning of conference. I mean, we we took three out of four against the eventual regular season champ. Um, but you but you know, but, uh, good. I, I'll ask you this. Okay, so Brian A, you played. Do we win the dance? Do we go to the dance? Well, that that remains to be seen. We at least get to the finals, I think. I, I, yeah, maybe I, I believe. Yeah, I agree. I think we beat Georgia State and get to the final. Um, but yeah, I mean, whether whether we win the final and get to the dance, I don't know. That's that's my point, guys. I'm not saying that he made he didn't make much of a difference. I'm just saying 
to say that your season is thrown away because he got hurt, I, I just I, I'm not buying that. We have two, we have because it tells me we have so much more talent than just him. Um, you know, again, I, I look at I look at our roster from top to bottom. I look at the guys that started the other day. I mean, again, Devin Butts came from an injury. Devin Butts' presence in that South Alabama game and him making those threes in the second half. To me, that won us. That, that got us the momentum to win to, to help us beat South Alabama. That, we were down what nine or eleven points at one time in the second half. He comes in, starts shooting threes, creates a presence on the court, turns everything around. Um, at the same time, he we, we still had that against Georgia State. Nobody said Brian AU getting hurt. I mean, the whole thing was South Al. It didn't, we, didn't, we didn't seem to need Brian AU in that game, but then all of a sudden we lose. Oh well, this guy got hurt. I mean, we've heard that. So many times, when they win, nobody says anything. But when they lose, oh, this guy got hurt. Well, he's been hurt. He didn't just get hurt for this game. He's been hurt. So, to me, it's just it's a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde with this team. I mean, some. I mean, like I said, in the, during I mean, at least four or five games this year, we give up these crazy runs. You know, we're down 11 or 12, and then all of a sudden we come back and we look like a Sweet 16 team. That inconsistency, I think, is what did us in. And it's been sort of the same thing for like since the 2018 season. I've seen a lot of that, and just a little more consistency. I think with a little more consistency, we can get into the tournament. But I just think that's yet to be seen. Well, you know, I'll, I'll make two comments, and then Ian, you can you can close with with whatever you you have to say. But you know, the inconsistency thing. As as much as I agree with you, that's also a major part of basketball. Basketball is a humongous game of you know, getting hot, going cold, getting going on streaks, you know, going on runs. That that's a that's a major part of the game. And, you know, just like they always say with baseball, baseball can be a beautifully cruel game. So can basketball. Uh sometimes it's just not your night. And unfortunately it turned out to not be Louisiana's night at probably the most opportune time of the season. Um and then secondly, you know, one thing I want to say, I, th- I think a huge difference maker along the injury front was not having a healthy Kobe Julian until the tournament. I mean, I say, say what you want about this program and the players that play for it. When Kobe Julian steps on the floor, I would say 75 to 80% of the time, he's the best player on the floor. Yeah, I will agree with that. I do think, though, the thing about Kobe is it's been three years of consistent injuries. Um, I said this a few weeks ago here that, unfortunately for Kobe, and I really feel for him because he's trying out there, but I can no longer depend on him to make to say he's going to be fully healthy next year because when you, when you have multiple injuries like that, I mean, that's hard to come back 100%. Let's be honest. I mean, when you've had – He's, he's hurt his knee, what, four times, three times? I mean, you can't expect someone following you. Like, I'm not going into the season. I'm not trying to badmouth the kid. I think he's a great player, and I love the fight that he has. But when you're that injury prone, I can't go in next year going, oh, well, I can depend on Kobe Julian. He's going to be healthy all year, and he's going to do his thing because the track record shows me that he's prone to get injured. So I would hope my, – my big thing next in line is I would hope we would have a bench – that not necessarily can complement the gameplay of Kobe Julian, but can come in and, 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 and step up. It's kind of like what we saw with Harper this year, you know? Um, and I think 
like I said, roster wise, we that had kid, we had a bench. That kid's gonna be special. Ty Harper. Well we had we we had yeah, Ty Harper. I mean, we had a bench this year. I don't even know. Like and that's the thing, like I, I you got a bunch of we had a bunch of depth, and that's what's so frustrating because to me, in spite of AU getting hurt the other day, we were good enough to win this whole, the whole thing. We had the talent to do it. And I, and I just, we didn't, we didn't. I mean, that's just the harsh reality. We didn't. And I thought getting out coached in the first half against Georgia State, where you're running up and down the court, you know, trying to catch your breath in the second half, just playing catch up all second half, fit us in. Fit us in. Yep. So, I mean, we'll see what happens next year. Um, it's just, I don't know, man. After a while, you know, it's just, it's come to the point where we kind of know what to expect. And it's just a harsh reality. And, and I'm, look, we're, we're fans. But after a while, you know, if, especially next year, if we can't at least make a run to the tournament, at least get to the conference final, I mean, I just, at that point, I'm like, well, I mean, <laughs> will we ever get there? You know? Yeah. No, I mean, uh, and it's a, it's a valid question to make. Um, and it's a valid question to ask as well. You know, one one thing I want to I want to touch on before we wrap up is uh, Wednesday was Giving Day for the university. Uh, you could give, mm-hmm. you know, all kinds. You you can give to all different programs throughout the university, whether it be academic or athletic. Um, I actually just received an email while we were on the air, giving you the results of how much money was raised and all that good stuff. Listen to this. $149,525 was raised by 364 donors. And the farthest donor lived 2,500 miles away from Lafayette. Wow. Jeez. How impressive is that? That's wow. pretty damn impressive. And congratulations, Regent Cajun Nation. Job well done. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, Unbelievable. I know, I, I believe the RCAF raised over a hundred thousand dollars alone. Um, and of course I, I just want to say, surprised. no, they did. No, they raised over a hundred thousand uh, in, in RCAF alone. I want to congratulate the RCAF on that accomplishment, but I also want to say thank you to Cajun nation, you know, uh, for the dedication and, and, and just, especially at a time like this with everything going on, finances are questionable. Uh, in a pandemic, and people still stepped up to the plate. And it just goes to show you not only are fans dedicated, but that that's love. That's love of the, of the university, man. And when you're able to do that, um, I mean, I know for a fact that the people at the RCAF are, were very, very excited about this. And um, who knows? We may have a guest from the RCAF come very, very soon to uh, talk about this. So, um, you know, Cajun Nation, hold tight. We'll, we'll, we can talk more about this in the, in the future. But you know, uh, I know we're about to close, but Ian, I did want to ask you, um, yeah, real quickly, and I, I kind of getting back to men's basketball. What I guess in the Sun Belt, and I'm gonna, I'm, I'm just curious about this because I feel like expectations are across the board kind of different amongst fans for whether it's even men's or women's basketball. I'll go with men's because men's is the second largest revenue generated sport in the country behind college football, as far as intercollegiate athletics. What would you say expectations should be at University of Louisiana, just from your experiences and what you see? Well, I think the expectation that we see from the athletic department is conference championship every year. Uh, with women's basketball, just given their history, the expectations going into this season, I don't know how high they were. 
I think we expected the Cajuns to get to get to the tournament, make a run, maybe get to the finals, because that's the path they were on until the pandemic ended the tournament last year. The women exceeded all expectations this year, and now they are their expectations are go to the NCAA tournament next year. For the men, I think it's the same thing. Get to the conference championship, win a conference championship every year, but they've not delivered on that since 2014. I think the expectation is for the fans, for the front office, Sunbelt Conference tournament championship or bust, NCAA tournament or bust. That has to be the expectation every year. Anything less is is fooling everybody. And quite frankly, to say that their expectations are anything less would be disingenuous. But expectations in reality are two different things. How do you get to that? How do you meet that expectation? How does that expectation become reality? And that's where the coaching staff have to figure it out. The men are awfully close. Even with the injuries, we saw they competed well. They got to the semifinals this year. They and they got close to winning it. They they hit a bad stretch towards the end. They got they were down seventeen in the semifinal game. They came back, tied the game, and then gave up a thirteen two run. The women were literally a few foul calls away and a few foul shots away from going to the NCAA tournament. It it hurts that how that's how their season ended. That they're going to the WNIT, not taking anything away from them. That's a great accomplishment. But when you look at how that game turned out, that it just it fell to a foul calls that weren't made, and b a Troy team that adjusted and took advantage of of what the officials gave them. It it is what it is. They were an NCAA tournament caliber team this year. No ifs ands or buts. They met the expectations. The reality just came up a little bit short. TLDR, it's the conference championship or bust every year, the NCAA tournament or bust every year. Now, the million-dollar question is, how do you make that reality? I'm not a coach. I can't answer that question. Fair assumption. It's a fair assessment. So, obviously, the goal is to get to the tournament. Um, that's, and, of course, I, and then the reason why I ask that is because if that's the goal, I see why fans feel the way they feel about 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 programs, whether it's men's or women's basketball, you know, there's been some impatience there. Um, and I kind of wanted to harp on that real quickly because, and I know we've talked about it already, but it, it's, it's very telling. I mean, when you have those expectations and you don't reach them, it's very telling. And now it's, it's up to the administration, um, you know, to say, okay, what are their goals and what, 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 what have the results been and how do we, how do we complement those and what, what to do next? And I think, like you said, we're going to find out next year. We're going to see next year what happens, um, and hopefully those goals can be reached. Uh, both programs, the thing is, both programs over the past three or four years have been close. Um, right. They have, they have the resources. I, I've been saying multiple times, in this conference, we have the nicest arena in the conference. We have, on the men's basketball side, we have the highest paid coach in the league, so we have money. Um, now it's time to compliment those. And that's where my, my stance is. If, if not, then, you know, if you put less resources in, obviously you get sometimes money, obviously all the time money talks. Um, but I mean, even in baseball, that's why in baseball, people, people want to go to back to a regional in five years. It's not something that's normal for us. So sometimes money has to compliment the results have to complement the money you put in return on investment, the basic principle of investment, investing. And of course I know, the administration uses the terms investment when you put your money into the, with the RCAF or any other matter. Um, so yeah, I'm just kind of curious, um, because again, 
it's just one of those situations where there's a lot of mixed opinions about both men's and women's basketball. I just kind of want to get it from your perspective, you know? You know, yeah, the expectation every year is to get to the NCAA tournament. It's just a matter of how do you get there, and that's the question I can't answer. Yeah. Right. And, you know, we'll, one, one thing I'll say before we go to the closing point that I want to make is, you know, like Ian said, expectation isn't always reality. I think a problem that a lot of our fans have is that they they kind of tend to believe that expectation is always going to be reality, and it's not. I mean, there's there's 351 Division One college basketball programs vying for 68 spots in the tournament. Your odds aren't very great, especially when. Let's see. There's probably 10 to 15 to maybe even 20 teams that, barring a fluke, they're in the tournament every year. So that's a third of the spots gone already. So, you know, it's just one of those things where is your are your expectations, and it's not so much that your expectations are too high, but it's just maybe you're hoping that your expectations will always become reality, and that's just not the case. Well, that's not the case. The thing is, though, you have to be able to, like, especially for expectations, everybody expects to go to the tournament, and you want to go to the tournament. It's like Tony Robichaud used to say, all 300-some teams, when they break their huddle after practice, all scream Omaha. You know, everybody wants to go to Omaha. The, my, my biggest thing is, what do we do to, like, like Ann said, how do we position ourselves to get there? Um, you know, the, we saw the women's team do it this year. Women's team was, it was nine, nine points away. Nine, or they lost by eight, but they needed nine more points. Nine more points to go to the dance. Uh, the men's team was in the semi. They didn't get to the final. So, you know, in order to be one of, one of those 68 spots, you know, to even position yourself, you know, going to the championship game, that's, that, to me, that's almost the start. Um, and, and, and I'm not saying these both men and women have to go to the championship game every year. I mean, I'm not saying that because sometimes you're going to stumble along the way. You saw it with the men's team in 2018, few injuries here and there, lost in the semifinals. But, you know, with the women's, they've been to two finals in four years or five years. The men's have been to one in 10 years. And that's where I feel that's what I'm saying, like, the re- that's the reality. That's the harsh reality. So, you know, I mean, I'm not, it, it's more, look, we have our expectations, but I also think both men and women need to position themselves like the women's did this year. Of, when you go to the final, you know, you go to the final, you, 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 you've already, you've kind of set your expectation to where now it's, it's, you're just 40 minutes away from taking care of business. You got to position yourself too, you know? Yeah, there, there, there's no question about it. Gentlemen, before we close out, uh, today is March 12th, 2021. 365 days ago today was the day that the Sunbelt Conference immediately suspended all spring sports. My gosh. It is also the uh, 365 years to the day that the NHL and NBA suspended their seasons. Wait, wait, wait. You said wait, 365 days. I think it's said years. Oh, I'm sorry. 365 days. <laughs> it's been Who'd exactly one year. Jerry? I didn't want to be the one to correct him. Who would ever thought the Pilgrims played hockey, right? Right. No shit. <laughs> no oh, shit. dude. No, no. I, got, I, I, had to get, I had to give you a hard time. No, I'm I know. It's I'm all just, good. I know what you're saying. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, what 
from where we sat a year ago, you know, Jerry, you and I, and, and maybe maybe Josh had, had joined in with us, but we had that conversation of, you know, sports for the foreseeable future are over. Where, where do we go from here? From that conversation to the one we're having today, I mean, what what are your what are your thoughts on maybe how slowly but how far we've come? And you want to take this one? I'll, I'll follow up. We've we've come a long way. We still have a long way to go, though. I think in some respects, there's some parts of the country that rushed back into sports too soon. And I think that was evidenced by some of the cases that we've seen where teams and schools and conferences, whether it be high school or college, have had to postpone games or suspend seasons. We've seen it with the NBA, with the NHL, Major League Baseball, where games were postponed, suspended, or canceled because of COVID issues. That's not to say there's a perfect way to do anything. There isn't. We're all feeling our way through this. But the fact of the matter is, sports has given us some sense of normality even if nothing is normal about how we're doing sports. That's the good news. And as more people get vaccinated, and right now, especially here in Louisiana, now that the number of people vaccinated has outpaced the number of people that have tested positive for the vaccine, I'm confident that by the end of the year, we will be able to enjoy sports the way that we traditionally have enjoyed them. And that's together. That's in a mass setting. And not having to worry about the crowd restrictions. But the only way that happens is if we do our part and we are diligent in protecting ourselves and each other. That's what we have to worry about right now. If we want to watch sports, if we want sports to get back to a true normal, or at least pre-2020 normal, we have to make sure that we're doing what we need to do to protect ourselves and each other. It's as simple as that. I'm happy we are where we are now. I'm happy we have sports at some level, even if it's only 25 to 50% capacity. But the fact of the matter is, we still live in crazy times, and nothing is for sure. One last pop culture reference. Sting, back in 1996, well, when he became the crow, told the New World Order that the only thing uh, for certain about Sting is that nothing is for sure. That same line can apply to the coronavirus and the pandemic. The only thing certain about COVID and the pandemic is that nothing is for sure. That's the reason why we have to make sure we're covering our behinds and doing what we need to do. You know, last year, uh, I remember it was the Coastal Series, the Coastal Baseball Series, and, and Coastal right. Carolina had just flown into Lafayette. They were at their hotel, and there were a few conferences that had canceled, but the Sun Belt had not canceled yet. And then all of a sudden, the, the first debate was, or the first, the first option was, we're going to cancel the season for two weeks. And we're going to postpone the season, or you just can't come into the stadium. You got to listen from afar. Well, all of a sudden, you start seeing the Ivy League, and you start seeing certain smaller conferences come out and straight up cancel. Like we're done, we're not playing. And you know, it it was tough. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I mean, basically the entire the entire world shut down for a good month or so, and those are probably the longest two weeks that I can remember. It just dragged. And yet, when things started to open up again, things started to slowly get better. Things started to slowly, you know, when, when you were able to go out a little bit more, they were improving. But I just remember having no sports, just sitting, sitting at home, not really doing much on 
certain weekends going, well, man, we would have been playing this team this weekend or we would have been playing this team today. And, you know, I'm just so thankful, number one, of the fact that we have sports today. Um, you know, sitting, we were making, I was making a comment about it about uh, two weeks ago when, when LSU came to the Teague. And even though it wasn't a sellout crowd, I was just happy to be there and just to have a baseball game. And, you know, even though it's different going to games where you have limited capacity, even though it's different where everybody has to wear a mask, you know, you, you, you got to kind of play your part where to me, it's one of those things. And look, regardless of where you stand on the virus, your opinions on it, I'm a more of a meet halfway kind of guy. If I want certain things, you kind of give in every once in a while. Right. If I want to go to a game, right. I'm going to wear a mask. Well, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't like wearing the mask. I complain when I have the mask on. But nobody likes the mask. If I want to, if you want to play, you want to play the game. You got to wear the mask. And so that's that's where I I I feel like this this past year has been the most unique year in my entire life. Um, and you know, with COVID, I mean, look, COVID COVID has hit home. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, with my family, with myself, COVID's hit home, and. Um, it is what it is. We deal with it. But yet, and, and, you know, we're very blessed that there were outside of a uh, few friends that I've lost, few family friends that I've lost to this thing. For the most part, outside of that, you know, we've been okay, right? Um, you know, one death is too many, and it's, it's tough. At the same time, how do you move forward? You know, you can, it's, it's, it's okay to grieve. It's okay to take to say, okay, you know, this thing is dangerous, but at the same time, how, how do you how do you move forward? And and I think that's what we're doing now is we're still, you know, with science and the data and the vaccine, like you said, and this is a full we we're a full year in. We actually officially have more, like you said, we actually have more vaccinations in the state of Louisiana than cases. That's a huge step forward. Um, certain states, whether you agree with it or not, certain states have opened back up. Um, and, and so that right there to me says that we, you know, certain people have enough, we have enough answers. We might have enough data to, to start bringing things back to a smaller sense of normality, not rushing it, but slowly bringing it to a smaller sense of normality to where in spite of, uh, the cases, in spite of this deadly virus, we're finding ways to combat it. We're finding ways to counter yeah. it, whether it's herd immunity, vaccinations, um, you know, people being safe, being careful, taking extra precaution, you have to. And again, if you want sports, if you want to be able to watch a sporting event on TV or go to a game, follow the rules and you'll have it. And so that's where I stand on the matter where I'm just happy that we were able to play sports. After last year, you know, we had that episode and we were debating whether or not there was going to be a football season. And believe it or not, this football season turned out to be the greatest football season in Louisiana football history, which is crazy right. when you think about it. But without taking the precautions, without being safe, that never would have happened. And I think moving forward, I personally don't think we're going to take a step back. At least I hope not. I'm going to knock on wood right now because I think we have enough scientific research. I mean, look, you know, the whole thing about, look, on average, you know, it usually takes seven years to get a vaccine out to come to the United States. It took us nine months. Nine months. Yeah. And we have millions of people vaccinated. Uh, there, I mean, I, I heard sometime in, later in the summer that there might be more vaccinations nationwide than actual cases. 
Um, right. So that you hear those stats and you hope for those stats and you're optimistic about those stats. Those stats will allow Cajun Field to have 25,000, 30,000 people there again. It'll allow the team to be sold out uh, on the weekends. It'll allow Lamson Park to have standing room only in the outfield. Those type of stats is what you want. And I think we're on the right track. So I'm, I'm kind of giving a long-winded answer on this, but just to sum it up, man, this year has been a roller coaster ride. Uh, we we have weathered most of the storm. I think there's still a little there's some danger out there, but at the same time, where we are now, how do we how we respond to it as opposed to last year? It's night and day. Um, and so, I'm just very blessed to still be here on the phone talking to you guys. The fact that we can still talk about upcoming sporting events, talk about the baseball series, talk about the basketball season, talk about softball, talk about upcoming football seasons. Just the fact that we can sit here and have something to talk about, that right there is a huge step in the right direction as far as sports goes. And so hopefully next year, guys, we can sit in the stadium with our friends and our fellow Cajun fans and not have to worry about this thing. It'll always be there. But we'll have hopefully the vaccines and the antibodies and and the precautions to be able to battle this thing head, head on without having to worry about getting massively sick or getting some type of crazy symptom to follow it. So. 80 steps, man. I think we've taken we've taken a huge leap forward, and it, I think we have another few huge leaps to go. But we're make, after one year, we're making a lot of progress, and it's it's very pleasing to be able to to say that because last year we didn't know what tomorrow brought. Well, this year I think the I think there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, and thankfully it's not a train coming. <laughs> yeah, we don't. Last year it was a train. Last year was a train because we had no data to work on. This year we got enough data to where we can say, okay, here's what we need to do. Now, now, now let's do it. This year, and everybody plays a part. This year, the lights just the dirt bike. Yeah, exactly. The 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 dirt bike's a lot better than the train, but you still got to move to the side when that dirt bike comes at you. Right, right. Hopefully next year will be just a horse and buggy. Hey, maybe so. <laughs> Ian Ozan, a pleasure as always. Thank you so much for joining us, man. Um, Cajun Nation. Pleasure's all mine. Hopefully, next time we do this, we'll be in person with some uh, whiskey. That sounds heck yeah, man. And don't be a, don't be a stranger, dude. Absolutely not. Once uh, all the sports uh, cycle off, once we get to the death time of summer, let's do this again. Yeah, absolutely. Cajun Consider Nation, it done. Cajun Nation, thank you for joining us as always. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Region Review. RagingReviewPod.com. You can listen to previous episodes there, catch up on new ones, and so much more. Gentlemen, once again, thank you for joining me. Baseball tonight, 6, 2, and 1 on Saturday and Sunday, respectively. Tune in on Kusa TV or listen to 96.5 KPL with Jaybird and Brad Topham. Cajun Nation, we appreciate you. We love you. Wear a mask, and we'll see you soon.